Hi, and welcome to The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And we're going to be doing a quick hit episode this week on the ongoing discussions around the 14th Amendment Disqualification Clause and whether or not it applies to former President Donald Trump. And here's a quick spoiler alert. These are very interesting academic conversations. <laughs> but if you want a TLDR version, it's going to be that the academics don't matter here. <laughs> so I am coming at this from uh, just, I have an ABC News article up in front of me. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of the, the prescient uh, paragraph here. Both challenges argue that Trump would be ineligible to hold federal office again under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, a constitutional clause that says a candidate is disqualified if the person, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against, end quote, the United States or had, quote, given aid or comfort to enemies thereof, end quote, unless granted uh, amnesty by a two-thirds vote of Congress. So uh, I feel like I, I, I guess my question is, um, who who is – this was first brought up by who else? Uh, the Federalist Society. Um, but I don't – I guess I don't understand what even the controversy is. <laughs> okay. So the, the controversy is over two main uh, textual issues okay. with the disqualification clause. So – I'm going to I'm going to bring up uh them in order. Okay. The first is that this that this portion this is section 3 of the 14th amendment. It never mentions the president or vice president uh uh taking the oath as president or vice president specifically. It okay. says no person shall be dot 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 uh Senator or representative of Congress, elector of president or vice president, or hold any office civil or military under the United States or under any uh, or under any state. But the important part is it says, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or an executive or ju- judicial officer of any state. So note that Trump, uh, former President Trump, was not a member of Congress. He was not a member of a state legislature, and he was not an executive or judicial officer of a state. So that leaves as a, having taken an oath as an officer of the United States. Okay. So that's the only provision under which uh, President Tr- former President Trump's conduct on January 6th and all the stuff leading up to and after the insurrection could lead to his disqualification. So the question then becomes, very simply... Is the president an officer of the United States? This is that okay? Because because my first thought when you said that is no one would seriously try to argue right that the commander in chief, which is his military designation, uh, is not an officer because we pretty clearly state that the president is you know commander in chief and they uh, I mean you know there there are multiple sort of like roles that are uh-huh. wrapped up in the presidency but one of them is commander in chief and are they going to try to argue that that is not an officer I think the argument there would that he, that would be an officer of the armed forces of the United States oh not God, necessarily okay. of the United States specifically <sighs> so the distinction here is whether or not so the argument made, to try to say the president is not an officer of the United States is that this is a term of art specifically applying to 
appointed members of the executive. Okay. Not elected members of the executive who would be oh the president God. and the vice president. Okay. That is the argument. So note that we're very much into dancing on heads of the pin, of a pin here. No okay? kidding. So this easier way to dismiss this, and the article that you mentioned by William Baud uh, and Michael Stokes in the Federalist Society, uh, uh, who members of the Federalist Society, arguing in favor of, of disqualifying Trump, was essentially that the structure, history, right, of the Constitution and of the 14th Amendment pretty much makes it clear that the president and the executive uh, should, uh, the president and the vice president should be included. So I want to think about this textually for a minute. It's not the way I normally look, but I think it's helpful here. So note that here, um, the, the, it, it basically is structured as federal, right? Oath yeah. is a member of Congress, officer of the United States, and then moves to the analogs at the state level member of any state legislature, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, which would include the governor or lieutenant governor, right? Correct. So looking at it from a text, from the formal textual standpoint and the structure that the 14th Amendment gets drafted, you could say, okay, we have, if we're unsure about what officer of the United States means, let's look at how they do the uh, parallel uh, a state um, portion of of this uh, of this um, section does it contemplate including elected officers yeah. under that, yeah. such as the governor? And the answer is yes. And yeah. so the federal analog to a governor is the president. So looking at it that way, president would be included. Straightforward. Yes. Okay. Right. So for. Uh, Many of you out there who are not not attorneys, this is a very classic way to try to figure out the meaning of arguably ambiguous phrases. If you have other clues, use those other clues. The second thing is, does this make sense in the structure of a, of a governmental system or the Constitution to not directly, just by omission, say, hey, the president and the vice president are excluded? Right? Yeah. And it doesn't make sense because the thing you would be most worried about, (laughs) right? This is when I say that, when I say that I don't even understand the controversy, this is Mm -hmm. what I mean, which is like, well, yeah, like if they're worried about like insurrections, insurrectionists being in state legislatures. I mean, it's not like a super uh, high or long logical leap to say, like, probably the person with, like, the most power, though, would be exempt, which is why I'm just like, y'all have got to be turning some wild, wild, wild mental gymnastics flips in your brain Mm -hmm. to get to maybe the president and the vice president are exempt from this. Yes. And that is that is a perfect way to put it. And we can let's use a, a more of an originalist lens now. Note that I'm, I'm sort of toggling through the different analytical frameworks. For, so for all of you who wonder what, you know, people who study the Constitution, who study constitutional history, who think about this shit all the day, and I will include all day, like, and I include myself in this, this is sort of how we systematically go through yeah. uh, our analysis. So you ask yourself, like, what was the historical context of the 14th Amendment and its drafting or ratification? So what had just happened, Sarah? 
uh, the 14th Amendment? I don't actually know the year that it was drafted. So Hold the on. 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Oh, 13th Amendment Civil is... War. Yeah, Civil I, War. I know when this. I know when the 13th Amendment yeah. was drafted because that was very, very specifically pointed at like... Yeah. So the 13th, make, 14th, yeah. and 15th Amendments are the post-Civil War Amendments. Okay? Right. That's the easiest way to think. 13, 14, 15, they all oh, go together. Sure. Of yeah. course. The Civil War was an insurrection. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and... <laughs> This is an excellent way to put yourself in the mind. Like, so what are they trying to do here, right? They're trying to say, hey, we need to stop the people who who fomented and led an armed insurrection against the United States from ever serving in both state and federal office ever again at any level. And the idea that they would be like, except they can be president and vice president, that seems fine. No, that is not a credible argument. Like, because historically that makes zero sense. Yeah, right? less than zero sense. Yes. It makes less than zero sense. So this is where, to me, like, no matter which of the analytical frameworks you use, there is no way to justify excluding the president or the vice president from the sure. disqualification clause. So you can be like, okay, that's not, I mean, you can... Try to hang your hat on that, but I, I, I simply cannot, within a good faith reading of it, say that anybody wanted to or thought of or would exclude the president from this. Yeah. And since it's not explicitly saying the president and vice president are out, then a, a good faith reading of this would read them into it. This leads to a second thing. And the second lens is, was this an inter- insurrection as contemplated by the 14th? So insurrection is a term of art, right? So you have to look at what does an insurrection mean? Yeah. And again, I'm going to, I love to do this. I think it's a very useful thing to do is to steel man your opponent's argument. Yeah. I am not an originalist. Yeah. No, I am not a textualist, but I have used both textual and originalist uh, modes of analysis so far. So let's put on our originalist hat. So when the 14th amendment was drafted, what was the meaning of the term insurrection? And it is very specific. Quote, concerted forcible resistance to the authority of government to execute the laws in at least some significant respect. Concerted meaning multiple people working in concert with each other. Ding, 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 January 6th. We see that. Forcible? Was there force? Yes. We have dead bodies to prove it. Was it resistance to the authority of the government to execute laws? Obviously, yes. yes. They were there to stop Congress from ratifying the election. Straightforward. Is that significant? Is that a significant respect? <laughs> Again, right? So now we have, now we go through, we ask ourselves, what's the definition? What was the original definition at the time? What are the components of it? Does it fulfill each of these? Tick, 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 tick. Okay. We've answered the second portion, giving it the nicest and most favorable uh, treatment. And this moves us to the idea of a self-executing provision of the law. Okay. So in real life, so in real life, self-executing portions you might see are a contract. Sure, sure. Right? Yep. So let's say there's a contract. It says, uh, you know, that like, uh, when I sign this over, Right when I when I sign this, when both parties sign it, that executes the contract that we're both now bound by the promises herein. Yep, that is a self-executing document because you don't need to take additional steps to make it legally binding. Sure. 
So there might, you could draft a contract that says, not just, that says, if so-and-so, I don't know, I, 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 we could draft one in a household. And it says, if Johnny takes out um, the litter box, then mom and dad will pay him $5. Note that that's contingent. You sign it, it doesn't instantly happen. You're right. no longer bound. There's actually no obligation created. Johnny is not obligated to clean out the litter box. Correct. Yeah. So this isn't self-executing. It requires a trigger, right? But the moment Johnny signs the litter, uh, takes out the litter box, then the rest of it executes itself. Correct. Now the obligation attaches. Does yeah. does that distinction make sense? Yes, 100%. Yes. Uh, in the same way that, uh, you know, sometimes when you're a freelancer, you can sign an employment uh, or a job contract, right? And choose not to do the work, but then they are not bound to pay you, right? But if you do the work by the nature of the contract, they are bound to pay you and you have recourse in court to get that money, right? Ding, ding, ding. And here goes the important thing. Even in a self-executing arrangement, in self-executing provision of a law or agreement, if they refuse to abide by it, you need to get it enforced. Yep. Are there self-enforcing laws? Oh, good question. Uh... Why, why do courts exist? I was going to say, yeah, I, I would assume not then, because then we would not need a lot of the uh, administrative systems that we have to do that exact thing. Precisely. So this is where I think the problem comes. We have a pretty ironclad argument that constitutionally, under the 14th Amendment, Section 3, the uh, disqualification clause, Trump is barred from running for president. Yeah. Or for any federal or state office, right? Can I ask one question? Yeah. Is this contingent on conviction of, nope. you know, like, okay, fantastic, fantastic. That's what makes it self-executing. The moment he fulfilled, right, the moment he participated in an insurrection, right? Which undeniably uh, Engaged in insurrection right? or rebellion or yeah. gave aid or comfort to enemies, right? He, it is self-executing insofar that Legally now, constitutionally now, he is formally barred. Yeah. He's disqualified. Yeah. But just like what happens in contracts or in any other theoretically self-enforcing, Trump is not abiding by this. He says, it doesn't matter what the law says to me. Ah, fuck the 14th Amendment. I am going to run anyway. So for people who say, but you are barred, what did they have to do? Oh, Jesus. Uh, and you you mean, it would have to be a state by state thing, right? You'd have mm -hmm. to be individually state by state barred from the ballot, one would assume. And, and what, so if I want to get Trump barred from the ballot in New York, my home state right now, I can't do that myself. Where do I have to go? Oh, state legislatures, one would assume. Or? Or state supreme courts? Or the courts, yeah, exactly. You can go to the legislature, they could pass a bill enforcing this, um, or something more specific, or even something more general that he'd still fall under. Note that in that case, he would defy that state law, potentially, in which case then you'd have to go to the courts anyway. Ultimately, this has to go to the courts. Yeah. Because even in self-executing situations, let's say... 
I fulfill my obligation. Like, let's say Johnny goes and cleans the litter box and then his parents renege on their contract and they don't pay him. Johnny goes to small claims court, brings, drags his parents in. Good for you, Johnny. And and the court then enforces the judgment. So even if there are self-executing provisions of the law and section three of the 14th amendment is self-executing, it's not self-enforcing. And this is the issue that comes up, is that any of the states that would enforce this against Trump, he's probably not winning anyway. That's the thing, is that like, you know, as always, and I keep telling people this who are frustrated at the number of things that this current Supreme Court has overturned, it's like, you know... Because everyone's psychotic and the Supreme Court, like especially the latest appointees, have given up any, I mean, and Clarence Thomas clearly, have given up any semblance of being able to say that they are objective uh, arbiters of the law. I think it is entirely possible in Cuckoo Magoo land, which is what I now call this Supreme Court, for them to say like, well, it's not mentioned. President, mm-hmm. vice president is not explicitly mentioned in the 14th Amendment. Therefore, it's fine. Right? Like, Yeah. Which is as we went through, a ridiculous argument, but you could see how someone who did not go through that analysis could view it as vaguely plausible, right? You kind of know on one hand, like, it seems like it should be more complicated than that, but, like, if it comes out in your favor, a lot of people don't, you know, they just knock on wood, and then they're like, oh, good. Um, And this is where we come into the problem. We would require state courts one by one, because remember, uh, historically... Uh, in American tradition, we delegate even federal elections, running them down at, to the state and local level, and require them one by one to enforce it yep. uh, on their ballots. And like New York might do it, California might do it, but would it be enough to prevent Trump from actually winning the presidency? No. And yep. then you plunge yourself into an even larger constitutional crisis. What happens if the winner of the presidential election wasn't on a bunch of ballots? I mean, or God forbid, what if the winner of the presidential election is barred from being on the ballot, but wins through write-ins? That was my, that's my only follow-up, like, what if, right? Which is like, it's, it's well within reason that Trump being a demagogue would be the first successful write-in third-party candidate, right? Like, that's plausible given where he is polling right now, which is far ahead of any of his challengers in the Republican Party. And the thing is, I think the answer there is pretty straightforward. It says, no person shall be. It doesn't say, run for. It simply says, you can't be it. So even if you won the election, even if Trump, let's say Trump makes it on all the ballots and wins, technically he still shouldn't be allowed to be president anyway, even if he won 100% of the vote. But again, it's not self-enforcing and it would could take – there is one way out. Congress may by a vote of two-thirds of each house remove such a disability. If, let's say, in that situation, Republicans take the House and the Senate by two-thirds majorities, they could simply then do the first thing, remove that from him, and he could ascend to the presidency. Obviously, that's not going to happen. That's sort of outside the realm of plausibility at this juncture in American history. I'm not going to say that forever, but just I don't think in 2024 that's going to happen. But I think at the end of the day, all of this, I know that we just went through this painstaking analysis, but I think it's important regardless. I think it misses the point that this, even if it's black letter law, obvious as day, if the courts 
won't enforce it, it doesn't matter. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, Johnny, if he can't get a court to enforce his contract with his parents, like, he he just fucked. He just he just cleaned out that litter box for nothing. Well, and and for everybody who was like, oh, vote blue no matter who, uh, because of judicial appointments, because of judicial appointments. That's why. Like, yeah. you fucking children. Like the reason like we should all we should have all been much more alarmed generally that the Trump administration was so, so efficient at filling a lot of empty judicial appointments, because this is ultimately like this is some Steve Bannon bullshit who is a fucking psychopath, but also like probably a genius. Right. Like that, like, you know, setting up a, a, a judicial ecosystem in which all these like completely bizarre world arguments might like seriously be not only made, but like, you know, argued as Clarence Thomas did that, well, listen, Hey, just because they come up with exonerating evidence doesn't mean that we shouldn't like keep that motherfucker in the slammer for the rest of his, his life on earth, you know? And we really, I think the really the situation we want to avoid is where we have an election where we wind up with essentially two winners, one under the actual rules and one under an alternate set of rules. (laughs) So you could see one where let's say, you know, Biden wins the election because he's running against an opponent who shouldn't even be allowed to hold the office. This is likely this is this is incidentally likely the situation in 2024. Yeah. Let's say Trump wins that. Personally, like there's a very good argument to say that no one should recognize Trump as the legitimate president ever again. Let's say then Biden and Trump both legitimate both claim Biden legitimately and Trump illegitimately the mantle of the presidency. You wind up with a Pope anti-Pope situation. Oh my God. And like any of you who've studied, you know, the history of Christianity, bad times follow from that. Bad times. I understand why legal scholars and experts want this to be solved cleanly by the law. Yeah. But I think ultimately this is a, a matter of political will. Will enough Republicans abide by the laws of our country? (sighs) And in this case, the Constitution itself, even if it means they get less power. I just don't want, I just don't want, well, actually, you know what? I take that back. Like, there's kind of this bizarro um, idiocracy world in my mind where Donald Trump rules from Mar-a-Lago and then Florida becomes like this bizarro, like seceding without seceding sort of like, well, we follow Trump's laws and like all of our federal prosecutors down here are Trump appointees anyway. So like, Mm -hmm. they're not going to say, you know what I mean? Like we end up with like the South without the actual formal secession. Do you know what I mean? Oddly, that is kind of the plan that because of the emphasis on states' rights, that uh, one of the reasons why current conservative, like the Roberts wing of conservatism, had generally been trying to kick things back to the states is that they wanted the ability to do that, right? That like they didn't want to schism things too hard by trying to necessarily like outlaw abortion in you know new york or california sure sure but by overturning roe they could you know ban it in red states the problem we so i think there's actually there's always been a big strain of that in um 
in pre-Trump conservatism. The issue now, I think, is that they miscalculated. They thought we overturn Roe, those people would be fine banning abortion in their red states. And then immediately the abortion rights activist was like, ha ha, we were lying to you all the time. We're now passing, we now we want to pass a federal ban. And they're like, whoa, like that's deeply unpopular and we'll never win a federal office again. And uh, we'll never win a federal election again. And then those people go, but what if we didn't have elections? And then they're just like, oh shit, oh shit. Um, we we just let the idiots talk too long and then they said what they really wanted and we were like that's not really what you want and a bunch of people like you and me have been like no no that's exactly what they want like please listen that's exactly what they want exactly and so like i think that this is this is an, an attempt and i think it's really important that this argument came from the right it's really important this argument came from the right because they are like they want the problem of donald trump to go away yep because I think that they have finally, some of them finally have recognized that there's no room for a conserv- in Trump's America, there's no room for an independent conservative intelligentsia or elite. Yep. Yep. It's either you do you go along with all the shit, even the dumbest of the dumb Trump shit, or you're you're out. Or you are persona non grata. You do not get to pick and choose. You don't this is not a cafeteria. Either also- you suck. Either you deep throat the entire boot, <laughs> right? Or it's going to stomp on your face. That's the thing. It's like, I think that all these people really were telling themselves a lot of comforting, if false, narratives about how angry and violent Trump's base would be about not getting their way, right? Mm-hmm. And like, then you see, then Lindsey Graham walks through the airport. You know, it's like one of the most memorable things in the post sort of January 6th era for me. And these people who go to the airport, like some of them may have bought tickets to continue to be able, the sole purpose to continue mm-hmm. to be able to scream at him at his terminal, right? Yeah. Like, like, you know, Lindsey Graham is like, well, these people will never come offline. Boy, didn't you think? Didn't yep. you think? <laughs> it's really, I think that's really important that a lot of them also, I think, underestimated the pervasiveness of violence yeah. uh, as a political tool. Yeah. Um, and again, like, yeah, I mean, the logic is essentially, yeah, you might have the law. Ooh, well, I have a gun and I'm willing yeah. to kill you. So yeah. what do you believe now? And this is, this is, you know, we, uh, one of the great like worries about sort of the post, um, QAnon era was what we call blackpilling, which is like giving up on any idea that there is an order-based way for them to change the world. So they're just going to go to chaos, right? Like chaos, violence, whatever you want. Um, but as we were talking about before, like this whole thing about like, you know, making sure that even if my life sucks, someone else's life sucks worse, right? Like yeah. if that's already where you're at, then how much different could it be struggling moment to moment to like maybe spending the rest of your life in federal prison, right? Like, mm-hmm. You know, I these folks love they love to eliminate economic opportunity and never think like, wow, I wonder if I eliminate too much economic opportunity for people. They'll get really mad at me and like shoot me with the gun that I insist that they have 20 of, you know? Well, you can always build a bigger wall. You can always get more private security. If you can't fly in a plane on a public flight, fly on a private jet. Um, obviously, that eventually all that logic falls apart. But like. I think for people who are not part of the right, we can't 
get complacent and delude ourselves into the idea that um, legal arguments, logical arguments are going to win, win the day here. Like they even, or even that they're worth investing a huge amount of our time and energy to, we're going to invest a little over half an hour here, which I think is important. We're not even doing a full episode on it. Um, But I think it's important to know, you know, what the law actually says so that when this moment is over and we're back to quasi regular order, um, we can we don't lose the ability to do this, but I think it's also important to recognize that like this isn't going to fix itself, and we're not going to be able to get past this moment of constitutional crisis without facing the crisis directly. Yeah, and like the the solution to a two pope situation, the solution to we have an radical insurrectionist like claiming the mantle of the presidency is to beat him so badly. Over and over again, everywhere. Yep. That he can't claim shit. Yeah. Yeah. Overwhelmed and, by yeah. by electoral volume. That's that's the best possible thing we can do is yeah. say, hold on, thank you so much for applying. Absolutely fucking not, sir. Goodbye. Yeah, it's the dude at the club who won't take no for an answer forty five times. It might be frustrating, but unless you can kick him out of the club. Or convince him to leave, you're going to have to do it 46, 47, 48 until he gets the message. And I'm like, yep. we might have to do this for the next 20 years yep. and and not lose a single one to whether it's to Trump or to Ron DeSantis or to Don Jr. or whoever it might be. You need to win every one. We don't, unfortunately, we don't get to get tired. We don't get to fuck up here. Like, that's it why I think... It is, in fact, vote blue no matter who, probably for the rest of our lives. Like, I'm really sorry. I I, I encourage you to participate in, uh, um, you know, oh, my gosh, I just forgot the name of the election before the election. Oh, primaries. Yeah. Mother of God. <laughs> please, please participate in all of your primaries. Please get heavily, heavily, deeply involved in your municipal and state elections and then you know, choose the left most viable candidate. Like we fucked up the Democrats in Indiana fucked up with Joe Donnelly. You know, we should have done something that had a little, we should have gone with somebody who was actually left. Those people do a lot better than people in the Midwest like to think they will like stop picking milquetoast candidates in red States, pick some real actual leftists. But yes, I'm so sorry. The answer is in fact, vote blue, no matter who I'm so sorry. And that does not, I mean, what I'm putting, what the vision we're putting out here, it does not feel particularly romantic. Right. It is deeply pragmatic. Yep. That like, you know, I I spent a lot of time and energy in, for the 2016 election and the 2020 election, just convincing my friends with whom I generally agree with about policy uh, to just like get over their shit after the primary and then vote for Hillary and vote for Biden because like. You know, there's the old joke about like, I, you know, voting for the lesser evil, you still wind up with an evil. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? Sometime there is this uh, great uh, political cartoon where it's like Cthulhu for president and it says, why vote for the lesser evil? I'm like, the problem with, with sitting it out or not doing your job is not voting for the lesser evil is then you get the greater evil. Yeah. Then you and get the greater evil fuck cards. Like, come and, on. And, and part of being an adult a lot of being an adult actually is just like harm mitigation. Yes. Yeah. 
you're not going to get what you want most of the time. You're just going to try to limit the bad that happens. Truly, truly, though, the whole reason that people like put, for example, baby proofing on all their cabinets, right, is like Mm -hmm. you cannot prevent a baby from getting in some shit and then getting it all over the fucking place. Uh, But you can prevent them from getting into some of your shit, but they're going to do it anyway. But why not just prevent some of the shit? So they don't get the stuff that accidentally kills them. Correct. I mean, they might... They might cover themselves in shoe polish and run around, (laughs) but like they ain't going to die. They're not going to like accidentally drink bleach, you know? Exactly. I love that. We are baby proofing our democracy and there are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts. I love it. (laughs) Baby proofing our democracy. Maybe we have an episode title. I have to think about it. But Sarah, uh, where can people uh, find magnificent metal honey? Quick That'll be metal, metalhoney.com, M-E-T-A-L-H-O-N-E-Y, just like it sounds, and use the code PURPSTU for some free shipping. Yeah, get that shit. And as always, oh, it's so good. But like as always, you can find the show uh, at PURPSTU uh, on the uh, platform formerly known as Twitter. Uh, please, uh, we always want more listener questions, comments, concerns. Do you have a way that you are baby-proofing uh, our democracy? Please let us know. Like, subscribe, share. Uh, All that stuff for the algorithm, it helps spread the word and helps us out a lot. But that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, This has been The Perpetual Stew. I'm Matthew Goodman. And I'm Sarah Merle. And until next time, stay curious. Bye.